You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys, or the guys that we have here today. <laughs> We're a little light, but it's going to be a great show. Um, over here on my right, we've got Jeremy Davis. Hey, what's going on? Jeremy's joining us across the table. We've got the one and only Nick Peck. Hello, Mike. Hello, gentlemen. Good to see you all. And joining us in the flesh, next to me on my left, the Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast, Mr. Rob Arbiter. Hello, everyone, and I'm not on Skype tonight. <laughs> but that's I find so it, weird. I find it odd that you're here and everybody else isn't. Yeah, see? Who have you I don't pissed know off? To, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to make of that, but it is definitely what true. What am I? <laughs> cat food? <laughs> now, Nick and I and uh, Jeremy can hold it down, and we have a good guest, so we'll be okay. Yes, we do. <laughs> and joining us today, we are honored to have, well, a really good personal friend of mine, um, somebody I work with, a great guy, um, Brett Levison. Hey everybody, thanks for having me here. And Brett is, um, man, he's he's a producer, he's a... Why don't you... <laughs> describe what you I... do, you do everything. <laughs> you produce, uh, executive produce, run a whole department. Yeah, I, uh, I, I work with Mike and uh, I am an executive producer and uh, producer of uh, not only DVD bonus content, but also theatrical marketing when it comes to... I go into sets of movies, interview the cast and crew, direct a behind-the-scenes crew, and essentially come back and make the uh the the documentaries and marketing featurettes that uh that range from nowadays anywhere from 6 seconds long to hours long uh features on the features to show people how things are done. Yeah, I mean, he does a phenomenal job. You know, you think about documentary filmmakers, they, you know, they spend years sometimes doing their documentary and he gets to kick out many little documentaries, you know, Months, weeks, days, sometimes. So uh, it's pretty amazing. We're going to visit with him on the on the second half. We're going to talk about Hollywood and all kinds of cool stuff. But uh, hey, Brett, feel free to uh, join in on anything we talk about. I'll see what I can do. Especially I'll, when we get into the compressor, you know, and and the EQ. I know you're really into that. Kind I've of been tech dying stuff. to talk about that. I've been rushing. <laughs> I've been just so psyched. I we know t- I can contribute a lot. With when we talk group. about amps and the slew rates and stuff like that, then you. Just chime on in there, buddy. I think I had a shlew rate <laughs> earlier, so yeah, I'll do my part. That's like my favorite audio word ever, though. Shlew. Shlew? The first time I heard about a shlew rate, I just thought that was awesome. Are you sure it isn't a slew rate? Slew rate? <laughs> it is a slew rate. It is a slew rate. <laughs> Somebody has been putting you on for the no, last no, no. 20 years. I said, no, no, you know what? It is a slew rate. The reason why I said slew is because my friend Brett who actually got me into touring, he took the slew and he turned it into shlew. <laughs> so he would call me shlew all the time. So it's your name. It's a, it's a, it's a long, long time. Jeremy, by the way, you're not allowed to edit this out. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I can't decide. I'm so no, no, this is a key It's a slew rate. I know that. What did I tell you about butchering words? I can butcher anything. Brother. You're very good at it. You're skilled. Good. So many talents. You're the best. Really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man <laughs> it's been a long day yes it has alright well thank you for listening we'll catch you next time well hey we got uh, a lot of stuff to talk about on the on the front half here um, first of all we're going to start off with um, this is kind of our pre-AES show mm-hmm. so um, I don't know guys AES AES is the audio oh, 
Go ahead. Audio engineering society is my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, My tongue is just. <laughs> so yes. we'll play this game I can't blab such blubber blubber. My tongue is not made of rubber. Oh man, it's just oh. bad. I, it's bad today. I don't know what. Yeah, so anyway. Rob, you get the last word of Mike's every sentence. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> every S must have an H. <laughs> and the oh, AS show is only a few days away, of course, by the time this. Yeah. Posts, it'll be passed, but uh, it'll be passed, but um, it's okay. Um, but I don't know. I'm kind of excited to see where it's going to go this year because I think AES. I don't know. I'm getting worried about them. I'm getting worried about how relevant they they are. I'm getting worried about um, just the fact that it's shrinking slowly. Down, 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 down. I mean, it used to be back in the day, you know, you'd have a whole hall and you'd have all these consoles and you'd have a ton of equipment. And, you know, last couple of shows, it's been a couple of rows in a hall with um, not a lot of consoles. And I don't know. It just seems. Is that just because the gear has gotten smaller and so it doesn't <laughs> Yeah, but I think it's also trying to find its place because NAM is huge. You know, when you look yeah. at the NAM show, NAM show has a huge. But NAM is so commercial. NAM has like everything for pros in various markets. And also, if you're just like sort of into it and happen to be able right. to get a pass, there's a lot of those people. But there's too. a lot of pro gear that only go to NAM and don't go to um, AES. If you look at all the pro gear, just take away all those other halls, just go to the pro hall. That's still, you know, it's not cheap to go to a trade show. Trade shows are really expensive. Tens and tens, and, and depending on the size of your booth, you know, up to a hundred thousand. You know, it's it's easily, and so um, people are choosing. You know, the buck. Where are you going to you know spend your buck? So it's going to be interesting to see. I'm a little worried about AES. I'm, I, you know, when you go to an AES show, you see a lot of old guys. You see a lot of that engineer look with the. Um, you know, the bald head, but with the ponytail. <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they, they still are sporting an apple mutant on their belt. <laughs> you know, it's just, and you know, you just need a little refresh. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happens and what the vibe's like. Because I've been to some AES shows where the vibe has been really great. Like when Analog came back and they had a huge 500 series and you just really sense a, a super optimistic outlook on, on audio where it was going. Um, that was cool. But I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see how the show goes but um any thoughts you're gonna be going rob i am not sure i thought i was going to be going i'm only in town for a few days but now i may be distracted by one of my projects and i may not be able to go so i still don't know i'm hoping to get there though what about you nick oh i'm going for sure um i didn't go last year because it was in new york and i was too busy yeah uh year before was in san francisco and so i was there the whole time and it was great this time around i have too much work to do so rather than going and actually doing all of the you know the program tracks i'm just going to go do the free exhibit day pass and just go on friday i mean i like going and learning there's so much to learn at it right still but there's you know there's just too much work to do to be able to take four days off to yeah. be able to go do it. Our uh, good friend of the podcast, Marvin Caesar, from uh, Apex originally, is yeah. going to be uh, hosting a panel about listener fatigue and different aspects of mm. listener fatigue. Wow. Actually, by the time this post, he will have hosted a panel. <laughs> and I'm sure it was great. <laughs> On Friday, I'm hoping to have gotten there, but I still don't know. <laughs> Jeremy, you going? Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's going to be my first AES because, like you said, the last couple were outside of 
LA and um, I didn't spend the money just like you, but I'm mm-hmm. actually sort of bummed about that because there's a couple, like especially one on audio over Ethernet and a couple of like pretty nerdy things. But I read the description and went, ah, oh, that would be cool if the price wasn't quite as high as it is. You know, that that's a good point. You know, you can really learn a lot if you go to any of the um, the seminars and the presentations and things like that because they do yeah. some cool stuff. Um, so we'll see. We'll have to see. I, I'm going to go. I went to um, the one in New York, which was pretty cool because that's yeah. where API did the whole box. And that, it was a pretty good show. And it was in New York. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I try never to miss the New York show because particularly if someone else is paying for it. That's, <laughs> that's right. Are, are you going to do like the tutorials in the workshops or are you just going to go to the exhibit hall, Mike? Um, I'm going to probably do a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. You know, So we'll have to see. I'll be hanging out you know, at the API booth with the API uh, guys and stuff. So um, we'll see. But I'm looking forward to it. I, I I like the AES show. I'm just worried about it. You know, we'll have to see where it is. If if it's because once they lose support of the manufacturers to show there, that's the key. Is it has to have a lot of people and it has to have a lot of energy. And the manufacturers have to feel like they're getting their bang for their buck. And as soon as they lose the manufacturers, then it's just going to turn into something different. You know, if it, it, it's and. You know that kind of supports all those panels, and that supports all those, you know, all the other stuff that happens. That's why I'm not saying it's on life support, but you just see that it's kind of aging. Let's see what kind of juice they they do to um, to bump it up. But we'll see if maybe there's some cool stuff that's um, going to be announced and some cool gear that's going to be announced. So I think one of the things about AES is that they don't just have the one yearly show. In the United States, right? They have a show in Europe, and they have other they yeah. have other AES events all the time, and so I think it dilutes it a little bit. Whereas NAM, well, is there still winter or is there still summer NAM in Nashville? Does that I think still so? Exist? Yeah. yeah. So there's still so there's still two NAM shows a year as well. So I don't know. I mean, but I mean, if you're thinking about your overall market spend for the year. You know, I could see the challenge there. Yeah, to, be able to figure out what it is that you're going to do. We'll have to see. And how do you differentiate when you show at AES than when you show at NAM? Which is a, three months later, right? And yeah. I don't know because right now NAM, the last couple of NAMs have been really hot. A lot mm-hmm. of great buzz, a lot of cool things. It's just it's a great show. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, anybody know anything that's going to be announced at, at uh, AES or anything? Oh man, I really liked that one thing that got announced. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I do know of one juicy thing, which people will know about by the time that uh, this is... You know is- what? I'm going to totally talk to Colin. I'm going to say, Colin, we got to get this up ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> I know of one cool thing, although it's not going to be something that's going to be open to the public, and I don't get to go, but I was... Um, as you guys know, and as we've talked about on this on the show before, I'm a huge fan of the radar system that yes. is Corporation Radar Recording System. I've been using it consistently since 2005, and um, the new Radar 6 is out, which is you know better than ever. And at this show on Wednesday night, Dan or Saturday night, Daniel Lanois is going to be throwing a private party at his house in which he's going to be debuting his new album, which is called Flesh and Machine. The hmm. whole thing was recorded on radar, wow. and he's using the radar to like control backing tracks and interactively work with them in real time as he performs the uh, as he performs his album for you know a bunch of industry people that he's going to be inviting there. Wow! So that's pretty cool. That is cool. Mm-hmm. That's totally cool. So. Um, by the time this posts, no, I just <laughs> go to YouTube and see Flesh and Machine. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what happens, and uh, hopefully, we'll see if we can get this up before uh, for AES. So this is all kind of timely. Um, moving on. So um, 
I wanted to bring something up and want to talk to you guys about this because I had a really great conversation um, and I want your opinion because this is something that um, I think will affect everybody here. You know, on the podcast, we've talked a lot about people that, you know, we've worked with and that people that we've collaborated with and people that have really helped us along the way. Um, But I got into an interesting conversation with a friend of mine and we were talking about arch enemies, nemesis. Mm -hmm. And I was telling him that, you know what? It's actually really good for your career when you have somebody that you're kind of button heads with going head to head against. And he was like, what? And I go, yeah. I go, I bet all the guys that I know that have been successful somewhere along the way, they've probably had somebody they were in competition with or a nemesis or something. I mean, because it's, you know, iron sharpening iron, you know, you, you get sharpened. And I had this one mixer and I'll give you an example. Um, when I first started um, in post-production, I worked at a company that was basically going to pare down from two mixers to one. And when it came time to make the decision, the owners of the company made the decision to let me go based on some information that they got from um, the other mixer. And um, it really changed the dynamic of our relationship. And I had mentored him and I had brought him up and I actually gave him a series and it really got, I felt kind of burned. Well, through the course of, you know, the situation, um, it was found out that he was actually, you know, working on the side for a client of the place. And so he ended up not only not moving over, but getting fired for that because that's a royal no, no. But, um, you know, I made it through and, uh, stayed with the company and it, and it, flourished and we got you know four or five audio bays out of the whole thing man it was just it turned that relationship into just this really negative thing and every time i saw him you could tell we were kind of rubbing against because you know hollywood's a small town and you know what other people are working on and you and you at that moment things changed for me a <laughs> I never wanted to be that nice again. I'm not giving away work. But really, at that moment, I had this standard that I always had to be above. It's like if he was mixing this it, somehow, then I wanted to mix this. So it was just, you know, I didn't, I didn't ruin my day or anything, but it was just something that was always kind of back there because of that experience. And it became like it was the nemesis. But in some ways, it really motivated me to keep moving, to keep moving forward, to keep going, to always... It's that little motivation. It's that little prick of, that, of the needle that just kind of pokes yeah, you I would say you he going. was a prick. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it was, it was horrible. That, look, that whole time was, was crazy, and, and years later, um, I became really good friends with the boss, and he just said, oh, man, I, was, I almost made the worst mistake of my life, blah, 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 blah. And you know, you really can't you can't control what other people are going to say about you behind closed doors and things like that. So it was just it was just an ugly situation that only now because it was so many years ago can I even talk about it. But that was it proved my point that you know right then and there I kind of had this little arch nemesis that allowed me it just kind of was a little bit of fire behind you know just to kind of keeps me going you know kind of keep poking me along kind of keep rolling and I was just wondering. You guys have anything like that? Do you have anybody you've ever like been in competition with? Maybe not that quite horrific, <laughs> but um, besides management, Rob. <laughs> I mean, there have been plenty. I mean, I've been lucky enough 
throughout my various careers to be in positions that other people wanted for themselves instead. Oh, yeah. Trying to take you down every step of the way. Every step of the way. With, <laughs> not only with the major artists I work with, but in every other facet, on the technology side, on the, the zillions of like, manufacturer relationships I've had. I mean, I have too many of those stories to go into, and I can't tell a single one of them. Right. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it has always forced me to, to, not that I would get lazy, but it has always made sure I wasn't going to get lazy and forced me to stay laser-focused about what I was doing. I mean, right. I've, I've done plenty of jobs uh, where, there have, where I've been in competition against other people for the job, whether it's as a composer or a producer or a ranger or whatever, uh, or as a software designer or an equipment designer or as a facility, I mean, I've always been in competition with other people. And I mean, you can't let that consume you. You have to just do the best you can do. But uh, I think it does make you stronger. I think it can drive you crazy. Um, One thing I have learned is if you're constantly in these competitions and find yourself not winning, because there have been facets of the industry where that's happened to me too, you might be barking up the wrong tree. Like If you find yourself in a competition and and you routinely don't win that contest whether it's for a certain kind of composition or a certain kind of production or just any one facet of the industry, right. take that as a sign from the universe that you should focus your attention Well, that's elsewhere. true. But for the most part, the competition's a healthy thing. What about you, Nick? Well, sure. I've been in, I've been in competition many times uh, over the course of my career. Um, any nemesis, though? Any- well, there Con! have been... Con! <laughs> Con! <laughs> There have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hold that, we'll come back to that. <laughs> um, yes, early in my career, early in my career, um, I made mistakes a couple of times in terms of, you know, um, trash talking a project or trash talking somebody who I was working with. They were throwing me under the bus, I was throwing them under the bus. You know, what was the result of that? The result of that was that I never ended up working again with any of the people that that was related to. All right. So all that ended up doing was hurting me. Right. And I think I've spoken on this, on this, on this podcast before about my experiences at Skywalker Sound where, um, the entire culture there is a culture of niceness. And it was a culture that I think was laid down by Gary Rydstrom and Ben Burt. Um, and it was a culture in which, you know, you always say hello to the other people that are walking down the hallway because you never know when one of them is Clint Eastwood's son, right? right? And right. so it's really important um, to, to do that. And so it's really been sort of an important part of my career ever since then in learning from these incredible mentors to try to be as nice as possible and to really kind of try to soft pedal the, the, the throwing other people under the bus thing. Right. So I really try not to do that pretty hard. Now. <laughs> now, after I've made some mistakes and right. learned from them. Right. And, you know, these are people that went on to be successful and yeah. they could have been my they could have been my clients for the last ten years and they weren't. Yeah. You know, they went to the other guy instead. Yeah. So that's a painful lesson to learn. Well no, that's true. You never want to you never your arch enemy should never be a client. <laughs> no. right. Or people that work yeah. within the industry who yeah. then successfully talk badly about you to yeah. other people. I yeah. mean, that's the whole thing. I really 
I really strongly believe that gossip is a very toxic thing, whether right. it's in personal relationships or in professional relationships. Uh, you know, I'm going to go home and write up a whole bunch of Facebook stuff oh. about how bad Rob is right now. Yeah, he, he, that's Join true. the club. Yeah. It's, no, I just think it's very toxic, and it hurts you. It hurts your soul. Yeah. And I really just don't want to. I don't want to be there. You know, and so I don't. I, you know, what? I totally agree with that. And you, I'll be honest, it's you know, years later. Thank God there wasn't like social media back then or something, yeah. you know, because the, things could have fought out in a whole different way. And I, I truly have years later. There's no hard feelings. Like if I saw the guy, I'd you know be the first to give him a hug and say, "Hey, how you doing?" and be truly grateful and for whatever kind of success he's had. Because you know everybody, there's a point where everybody kind of goes their own way, right? And that was a learning experience for everybody. But. Um, but it's still, for a long time, though, it was definitely a little bit of motivation, and it was definitely, you know, back there. And and I think I'm saying this only because if you're if you're starting off or if you have this situation, you know, just look at it as a positive and don't look at it as a negative. See what you can learn from it and keep moving on. I mean, Brett, how about you? Any any? Uh, well, not arch enemies, but any. Um, well, I've had a bit of both. I, I a bit of uh, that sort of friendly competition, which is sort of a nature of of what. I do working at an agency and, and there are other agencies doing the same sort of job. And in that way, that's just competition. That's right. healthy. That's the business. Everyone pushing each other. Hopefully everyone's paying as much attention to what I'm doing as I'm paying attention to what they're doing and everyone's trying to push each other and get better. But uh, before I was on this client and agency side of things, I worked at the studios and I've worked in both development and production and marketing and publicity. And in those zones, in those realms, I mean, if you've ever seen the player or any movie about Hollywood, <laughs> right. it's, it's, you're bound to make an arch enemy. And it's almost like a rite of passage that you have to have one. Um, and, and the thing is, I, I've, I worked with someone, we were doing a, a uh, I'm going to speak really generally, but I, I don't know why, because it was about 14 years ago, but was working at a studio, and we were working at a press junket dealing with top name talent, Right, and I had worked for months to set up this big contest to get a lucky winner to come in and interview this talent, and I'd cleared it through his publicist and cleared it through the studio publicist, and it got to the day, and he just didn't feel like doing it, and the publicist just said, you know, I never cleared this. I never did this. This is ridiculous. I can't believe that guy, Brett, made you do this, is, is asking you to do this. You know what's off the table. This is ridiculous. This is insane. And we're all on the same team, and we have to stare at each other right. every day. And that seemed like something really small, but I was the one thrown right under that bus. Even after I had done everything to the best of my abilities, I swore my vengeance and I swore that that was going to be, that she was going to be my, my arch enemy and we were never going to bounce back and I was never going to trust her again. And maybe to this day I don't trust her, but I also learned a lesson from that and it, and it happened once again with a very high up studio executive, um, who now happens to be the head of one of the studios <laughs> who I work with all the time, oh who I have to see all the time. And 
I, I basically had a crisis of conscience over something I heard that was said. I said it to someone else. They had to report it. It got back to this person. Boy, am I speaking generally and not interesting at all. But the, the truth is what it made me accept. And, and at a certain point, I thought, okay, if this pers- person would sell me under the, uh, throw me under the bus and sell me out and any metaphor you want to put in this particular situation – I can't do the same thing. Right. So I thought this is my professional bar mitzvah of sorts, and I went straight up to this person and said, "This is what's going on. We can talk it through, or we could just, you know, never speak again." Right. But but part of it for for what I deal with and for production, development, marketing, and publicity, it's part of the game. Yeah. And that's sad, but it's but it's also it gives you the wherewithal to say, okay, we're going to butt heads. We're going to swear vengeance and, and really get sick and tired of each other. But we also know that tomorrow we're going to see each other again. Yeah. And six months and six years and 16 years, maybe 60 years, we're going to be seeing each other again. And this is part of the game. And we are going to nod and smile at each other and be very <laughs> social and cordial. But, I mean, it just – for what I do, it taught me – having an arch enemy taught me how to play the game. That's – and that's, um, and that's and that's and, and in lesson. some ways to to th- to do well and to be able to speak that same unspoken language that is you know that I face sort of the essentially the BS of Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to find an arch an arch enemy right now, and I'm just going to send him a box of chocolate. <laughs> Thank you for help defining my career. <laughs> I mean, honestly, arch enemies and nemeses come and go. If you wait long enough, I mean, it always fades. Yeah. You know, all the rage and everything else. I mean, we started uh, Noisy Neighbors Productions in 1990, and we definitely had our direct competition and our nemeses back then. And as time goes on, I mean, all of that stuff just fades, fades away. Yeah. I mean, I sort of sit here as the self-proclaimed victor because I don't think a single one of them is still in business and we are (laughs) but um, over the years that competition was a healthy one and they'd win some and we'd win some but knowing they were out there and also knowing the enemy is a helpful thing like if you know what they're good at or not good at you go after the things you know they're not good at yeah Uh, you have to play that game and not every Nemesis starts off as contentious as mine did with, you know, trying to throw me under the bus and take my job and, you know, ruin my livelihood. Ooh, maybe I am a little bitter. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But, you know, it's all a learning experience. It's all, it's all, you just, you just, you know, we talk about a lot of the rosy things, but sometimes it's the not so rosy things that actually help you and, and teach you and propel you down the path. How about you, Jeremy? Um, and I've been thinking about this actually listening to you guys talk and I, I don't know that I have one. I've definitely learned a couple of lessons. I've been burned, not necessarily by people on purpose throwing me under the bus, but like someone will ask me to do something and then sort of imply, not explicitly at all, that I should be doing this other thing too, clearly. And so a couple of different times that's bitten me and I didn't do it. That was on me. Right. But I now understand, okay, when people ask this, I need to do X and then just keep going all the way to Z. Just, <laughs> just do all of it. To back yourself up and make sure you're good uh, because if you're dealing with that in front of the client, it's going to look like it's mm. somebody's yeah. fault. 
Um, so, but you know, I, in in that part of my career, I guess I'm also like 12. So yeah, you're a newbie, brother. You yeah. are just wet behind the ears, newbie. So give yeah. it some time. So for yeah, so for I think for this part of the conversation, I'm listening more as a, a listener going, okay, I feel like I should be taking notes. And so, you know what? I think Jeremy needs, I'll be your nemesis. How's that? <laughs> I got my eye on you, Davis. <laughs> One false move. Okay, so when you're in L.A. every fourth day, yeah. I'll be worried. That's right. Rob's going to come next time wearing a skin-tight lime green suit with question marks. On. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, all, all this to say, it's part of life, you know? You're going to have the people that inspire you, and then you're going to have the people that want to, you know, fire you. And, and you just have to just take it. And, you know, we all have the stories, and, and you might think it's really rosy for everybody here. But no, mm-hmm. man, we've all gone through it. And, if you're and going it hurts. Through, if you're going through it right now, or, and if you find that there's a, you know, another mixer or another editor talking smack about you, or you find that there's another... Um, you know, you're a studio and some other studio is out there talking smack. I mean, everybody's had to deal with it. So don't let it ruin your day. Take control. Use it as a source of inspiration and move forward. Turn that negative into a positive. And you will succeed because everybody sitting around this table has definitely succeeded. So there we go. We're going to put an edit here. Lauren, what time is it? How much time do we have? Okay. My answer threw us way off. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's whether or not I wanted to get into another thing, but I think it, we're gonna we're gonna take it away. So let me, um, Colin, we're gonna we're gonna go back into it. So anyhow, um, we're gonna take a break right now. But when we come back, we're gonna um, visit some more with uh, with Brett and talk a little bit about um, well some of the interviews that you've done, and he's interviewed some great amazing talented people in hollywood and uh, also we're going to talk to rob a little bit and find out what's happening in his universe because he's been working on some projects he's my nemesis (laughs) (laughs) got my eye on you davis don't forget it i'm watching you (laughs) that have kind of blown up so um so hang in there with us and we'll see you on the other side Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the LA area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break, we were talking about villains and arch nemesis. Yes, we were. <laughs> and you should have heard some of the stories during the break. That's all I'm saying. Oh, the best stories are always during the break. <laughs> all the stuff that we can't say. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> you look back at that, though, and it's all all with, a, with fondness. All with like, you know what? It's what made us who we are today. No. <laughs> 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 Bitter party one. <laughs> All right. Well, moving forward, moving forward, not looking back, moving forward. Um, there's a couple of things that I want to talk to and uh, talk about. Um, I'm still. I can't believe Schlue. I just. I can't believe that. God. 
<laughs> Audio now cast the Schlue episode. <laughs> Number 157. The Schlue rate is the amount of enemies you have versus your <laughs> career path. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I wanted to spend some time talking with Brett because uh, Brett's done some really cool things. He's um, uh, produced some really great um, bonus features and documentaries and, and just um, some of the stuff behind the scenes on, on several movies. Talk about some of the titles that you've done. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been really fortunate to do a wide variety of things. Of course, when I started doing this, it, it started out with a lot of straight-to-DVD titles. Right. You know, I was sort of a, a sequel king for a while. American Pie 7, um, <laughs> Beethoven 6, uh, White Noise. Wait, The Thing with the Dog? The Thing with the Dog. <laughs> wow. Yes, that was a passion project of mine where I stayed in Orlando and was surrounded by kid stars, dogs, parakeets, pigs, everything. It was truly amazing. But, you know, it's weird. I still tell stories from that all the time and reference that. But um, but then uh, I was fortunate enough to sort of uh, move on. For a while, it was, it was straight to DVD sequels and then horror movies. So actually the first chance, first thing I got a chance to do was a goopy, gory horror movie directed by James Gunn, who now just did Guardians of the Galaxy, but it was his uh, directorial debut, Slither, which for me was sort of a dream come true. <laughs> the studio had approached me to say, could you, you know, would you mind producing DVD bonus features for us? And we've got this movie and we don't know what it is, but would you be interested in doing it? And I was a guy that sort of grew up loving creatures and movie monsters and and special effects and prosthetic effects and and then just sort of grew to love every step of the every step of the filmmaking process so when you're working on a, a horror movie like this every single cinematic trick in the book is used uh every department head plays a role and every department head is also sort of passionate about it because it's all trickery it's all manipulation and you guys know how you can manipulate sounds and emotions through sounds and through technology and that's what i got a chance to experience day in day out on that set now before this i had had a chance when i left i'd worked for sony for a while in development and production as an assistant where i got just everything knocked out of me and every abuse if you if anyone out there is an assistant watched the movie Swimming with Sharks, um, and I suffered every single inhumane abuse that you could imagine, but I learned a lot, and it <laughs> toughened me up. Let's go back to the arch nemesis conversation. <laughs> um, but I, after I'd let, then I moved to Universal, went into marketing, and, and I wanted to get more involved with the filmmaking process. So I worked on a fine film, uh, Chronicles of Riddick, actually, where I met mm, Scott. Right. Um, and got a chance to be the marketing and branding consultant. So I, I worked hand-in-hand hand with every department head, the filmmakers and the cast and the writers to work out how all the assets and how the storylines could be conveyed to uh, the novelization, to the video games, to the DVD bonus features, explaining the movie to the marketing team who had no idea how to explain it. Right. Um, and then... Uh, being sort of the expert in this property. And in doing that, I, I got a chance to understand the film language of being on set and, and the passion and the, the artistry that doesn't, you know, when you watch a bonus feature, a lot of the times it's just 
the two stars, it's the director, it's the producer, and you'd swear those are the only people that make the movie. Right. And you hear everybody loves each other, and it was so easy, and what a thrill, and the crew was amazing, and the location was a character. I just scripted a bonus feature for it. Um, and it's the same damn bonus feature that we've seen over and over again. Um, but what I got a chance to see while working on Chronicles of Riddick and also just by being a lifelong fan of this stuff is uh, that every department head, and not even department head, every crew member, the PAs, were the most passionate, driven, energetic, and excited people to be playing in this playground. So when I was working on Slither, it was a unique approach to the crew that I was working with, and I had no idea how to direct a crew. All I knew was how to talk to people, what happened on a set, and um, I had my curiosity. And we were talking before the show, uh, we started the show, just about passion and and hobbies. And, it, and it's strange that movies and movie making is not only what I do for a living, but I'm lucky enough that it's my hobby, or it's my hobby and I'm lucky enough to do it for right, a living. Right. I don't know. It's all It all blends together. So um, I got started on Slither, and then you know, even when I went to the dog movie, it was like I spend an inordinate, inordinate amount of time with the animal trainer just be, to get to know his way of life, what right. he was doing, how he did things. Sure enough, I saw him on a set last year on uh, Dumb and Dumber 2, so we all ah. sort of reunited. It is a very, very small world, and um, and especially when you're dealing with crews in certain places where films are made. When I go to Vancouver, it's like just for rejoining a family. Now, if I go to New Orleans, I'll know a lot of people there. LA, very few movies are shot here. Um, but New Orleans, New Mexico, um, certainly anything in Orlando. And New York, I haven't worked in too much. But um, but the film crews are tight. The experts are tight. And I'm lucky enough that after years of slogging away in that business, and I've gotten a few breaks to get onto bigger and more exci- more commercial movies they're not all exciting but um but had a chance to work on a wide r- variety of things from the I'm just going to say it, the worst romantic comedies because I said so, but I got a chance to see Diane Keaton work. So you take every little nugget and the people that designed the cakes for that movie ended up designing my wedding cake. So uh, (laughs) make it work for you. Um, But uh, recently I've had a chance to join a very exciting franchise, um, which it's a true privilege and honor to work on. I can't mention much about it, but if you love dinosaurs, um, it has something to do with that. And just seeing the movie magic there, I, I just feel like the passion and excitement is, is still around. And the curiosity just helps save the day. But um, over the past few years, I've become sort of a, for the most part, an action movie kind of guy. I was doing, I did Safe House with Denzel Washington and Ryan Reynolds in South Africa, where I spent a huge amount of time there. Um, I, uh, one of my favorite projects and one that's most personal to me is Savages with Oliver Stone, um, which really pushed me in all new ways just by working with someone like that. How was it interviewing Oliver? You know, it, it was, 
It was something I, I put myself through essentially Oliver Stone 101. I had been a huge fan of his for a long time, but then just sitting down and, and closing myself off and watching every movie of his, listening to every commentary, reading every interview I could get my hands on and just getting to know what he likes and what he doesn't like. He was a guy that he... At, some people do this. They ask for the questions ahead of time. I hate to do that because you lose that spontaneity that you get out of a good interview. But... It's Oliver Stone asking. Of course, you send it over to him. And I think basically he just wanted to find out, is this guy interviewing me a jackass? And <laughs> because he is a the wicked... The answer is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depends on who you talk to. Is my wife here? Um, so uh, one of the last questions, one of the general questions that the marketing departments almost insist that you ask which is why you see it in every featurette, is what are audiences going to experience when they see this film? It almost hurts my soul to write those <laughs> words, but you know you have to do it, and you also have to click off, you know, what is the story, who are these characters, blah, 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 and then you just aspire to, with, with smart people, to start a different way so that you establish a level of rapport and somewhat mutual respect from the get-go. Um, so I added... I had to put what can audiences expect, and the studio wrote back to me and said, Oliver looked over the questions, and, and he said they're all, they all look good, but he's not answering that last question because he says he's not effing, uh, and I'm just censoring because everyone's being so polite. Um, no, that's good. He, yeah, good. He's not, uh, he's not doing an effing Entertainment Tonight interview for this. He's, he's above, he's not going to do that. So I said, great. And, um, my pleasure. So I sat down with him, and first thing, he sits down, and we have hours to prepare, and we're sitting in his office at um, Ixlon in Tribeca West, and he's finally get him through makeup, and he sits down, and he's like, ah, oh, it's hot. You didn't think to bring a fan in here? Can you crack the door? And then the sound guy's saying, no, we need clean audio, and he's like, just crack the door. You'll be fine. I do a ton of interviews in here. You didn't bring a fan? You didn't bring... And so I'm like, oh, we're off to a great start. <laughs> And he's one of these guys who walks into the room and your stomach just goes into these knots. And um, so he was like, okay, okay, let's get going. And I said, all right, well, I guess the best thing we can do, let's just start at the beginning. He's like, start at the beginning? Why don't you try and do something effing different, all right? <laughs> I was like, we can start at the end. All right, fine. Um, so what can audiences expect when they see this movie? And I said, I know you love that question. And he just sort of laughed and said, ah, the Oliver Stone expert. All right, all right. And so that sort of set the pace from the get-go. And I got lucky enough that we got one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. It worked out to be about two hours that... The guy is so bright and so on, and not only is he bright, he's prepared. Before he does an interview, and, and the audio commentary was a whole other conversation that we can have, um, he does his homework, and he takes these meticulous diaries and journals from every day of the set, and he can tell stories that will just knock you out with this honesty and gravitas and that voice. and. Wow. Think what you think about his movies or about his politics or about his stands. As a as a researcher, as a as as a storyteller, he, he rocked me. And so you go with the moods. It was really at the end of the interview, the the camera guy, and this sounds really immodest, but I just wear it as this badge of pride. Um, 
Jesse said you played that guy like a snake charmer because you just have to go with him and it can be really insanely challenging. Now, when we did the audio commentary, it was, he started, I don't know how many people here do audio commentaries or have heard audio commentaries, but traditionally they're done. (laughs) done a lot. (laughs) Yeah, you've certainly done a lot. You sit in front of a picture, uh, a film, and you speak alongside of it. It's not the toughest thing in the world. Um... Uh, certainly for a producer because you hope that everyone's engaged. And for me, my biggest pet peeve is having a, a, a big gap in an audio commentary. So try to feed questions and do this in the most strategic way. Well, Oliver got about two minutes into the film and said, you know what? I can't do this to picture. I'm just going to talk. And we did two four to six hour sessions, um, which it should be Two hours for a two-hour movie, and right. it was about eight hours of material oh. and uh, freeform, just stream of consciousness. And he wow. would go through his journals and go through his notes, but he would tell these stories that were like, um, in this particular scene, the sun was behind the clouds, and we had one more shot to get. I knew that the sun was going down at seven fifteen at night, and it was six oh five, and the sun was behind the clouds, and we needed to get this last shot. The sun was down. I prayed to the gods of the conquistadors to let the sun (laughs) emerge from the clouds. I was on my hands and knees. The crew was there. We were adjusting anything we could, but we just needed the sun. And for one fleeting moment, the sun came out. We got the shot, and that's what you see here. And it was just, it's like, oh my gosh, this is a storyteller. And and that's sort of the... one of the most incredible experiences and wow. and and what has helped what helped me survive that experience and what um, what I hope will carry me through the next experience with him was just having sort of this this enthusiasm and this create i 'll say creativity but this creative enthusiasm to figure out how stories are constructed, how stories are told, and to get into his mindset to know how he would want that story to be told wow. so it it is fun to take that you mentioned documentaries and how they're usually put together over years and right. with meticulous research. Sometimes we've become known in this in our division as sort of the um, the scrappy ones where we do everything we possibly can with essentially four people: a producer, a camera guy, an audio guy when we can, and an editor. And that's how we tell our stories, and and that's it. And there's not a lot of trickery. There's not a lot of time. There's not a lot of resources. Um, all we just have is sort of creativity and energy and sort of passion for all this. Speaking to people like that, speaking to people like Denzel Washington, who while you're on set is one of these method guys who um, you fear him when he's in character, when he's in the mode, when he walks on the set. That was during Safe House. When I worked with him on Two Guns, he was light and loose and fun. <laughs> no one's going up to him and right. giving him a high five after every take. But you know, he shows up as a different guy when he shows up to an interview. But they're bright and they're storytellers, and and that's that's the excitement that I've been able to do. And and um, I've been able to interview a wide variety. I've been very fortunate of directors and stars, and um, from you know. The Sirs or Ridley Scotts or Anthony Hopkins and and um, and then you know then there's the Hollywood of it all and and uh, the Hollywood royalty of the current Judd Apatow and and right. those sorts of people and 
it's just riveting to hear their take and to hear what who they are and the best thing we can do. Right now I'm working on a project. I'm actually – I can say it now because by the time this airs, it'll be fine. But working on Dumb and Dumber 2, one of my goals is to not let any of our marketing content – Excuse me. In any of our home entertainment content, to feel like this is just prepackaged crap, right? That you get to know these people because they are amazing personalities. Some of them are not nice. Some of them are not. Most of them are not interested in talking to me. So I know that when they sit in the chair. So all I can do is it's just got to be winning them over either by smarts or with a smile or with complete immodesty and just calling it out saying, look, I know you don't want to be here. Thank you so much. I'll just try and make this as painful as possible for you. (laughs) And and then there's the folks, the people that I love. and, And the reason why I'm fascinated just sitting here with you guys is it, it are the the brilliant and creative technicians and 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 people who love this and um you know who don't get that above the line billing don't get to be in all the marketing featurettes and all I try and do is to get everyone they're doing at least in home entertainment yeah because it's it's not about that you know in the end we're not making the great american documentary we're not making hearts of darkness which was great documentary about Apocalypse Now. We're not making uh, Lost in La Mancha, which was a great documentary about a failed movie. We're making essentially marketing bullet points for the back of packaging, which is a sad fact for that I had to learn, and I try and tell everyone I work with, but all we can do, if we can give one bite from Jim Carrey in order to get five bites from an editor... Yeah. Or or someone who's really technically involved and who's got some talent and insight to share, then we've won. And the marketing department still has a Jim Carrey bite to get out there. And you know what? I've I've worked on um, a couple of uh, actually several of Brett's pieces, and uh, I find the the technicians, the editors, the mixers, the sound designers. That's where you find a really great story about how that film's getting. Made because you know you talk to the actors and the directors and things like that and they all kind of do the same thing. But where the envelope gets pushed is the sound designers, is the visual effects, is that kind of stuff. And and I just I feel you know it shows from from the way you work because that's where you get the okay. I'm not going to see another actor kiss another actor's butt, you know, for the 40th time. I'm going to see some really cool stuff that's happening, and that's that's changing filmmaking, literally. Well, that's the hope. I mean, it, we, it can't always be that way, and I know that I have done the featurettes where everybody is like, oh, what a privilege to work on this film, and it's amazing, and it was easy, and what a um, – I can't even hear myself say it, but if we can get – some of that information in because it's like you guys can sit around here almost every week, if not more, and telling these stories. You have the stories and you've, you've experienced things from a different point of view and you've got the stories that people haven't heard before and don't know about and, and don't always appreciate until it's pointed out to them to say, oh, you know that sound effect you heard. And, and that comes from just always loving it, but my brother was a sound designer, and and I would just, when it comes specifically to sound, it was all about just this interest. I think there's every job in the filmmaking book that I wanted to do at one point in my life. For a while, my dream was to be a Foley artist. You know? <laughs> who? What little kid says that? Um, one of the first films I made with a buddy in high school was just us sitting around. I bought a, a CD... 
um, of sound effects, just a hundred strung together sound effects. And we said, well, we got a camera. We've got some way to patch this all together. And we made a short film around sound effects. It was just because we were geeks for this stuff. And I feel like there are more geeks working in the business than cool people. And the geeks have got the (laughs) stories and the geeks have got the passion. And, um, and also this interest, and I'm not. That's not to say that the actors aren't interesting or the directors aren't interesting. Producers have got their own stories, but right. you know, we're. Uh, I get a chance to if I can shed some light on a different side of things. And I always ask at the end of a documentary, like, have I taken anything away? Have I learned anything new? Have I right. either learned a story or? or Taking something away that I can pass along, oh, you know that sound or that Easter egg or, you know, sometimes it just comes down to that little finite detail, which isn't going to come from the actor. It's going to come from someone else who's, who's having some fun behind the scenes. So a lot of times, though, I feel like producers and actors and directors are all very media trained, which might be why they close up a little bit. Do you have anything you do to get them to come out? I mean, you mentioned, you know, you try and become their friend, but even if they're being friendly, sometimes they'll still give you like the same canned answers. It's a great question. And (laughs) yes, uh, we get that all the time. And there was sort of a seismic shift that happened in our business. And I won't say seismic to overstate it because who cares about our side of the business? (laughs) Thank you all for listening. Um, But for the longest time when you show up to set, they call you, ah, EPK is here. No one knows what EPK means. It hurts my heart and soul. And EPK technically means electronic press kit. But you're lumped in with Access Hollywood Entertainment Tonight or things that are just tabloidy in nature. So people don't feel safe and they don't feel like they can speak freely. For a while, I just went on set and I was like, I'm not EPK, just call me DVD. And then they're like, oh, I can open up and be a little bit more real and this is a documentary. And and they want to be exposed. So they they think, oh, this is how we can get some how-tos going. Um, now we go on set because DVD is sort of going away. We're BTS behind the scenes. <laughs> now they're starting to say... Okay, you're EPK. But um, <laughs> what I try to do with the canned answers is get start skewing the questions in a different way. I, it's less about what's it like to shoot in Atlanta? Because um, who cares what <laughs> it's like to shoot in Atlanta? Unless when I was in Cape Town, it's like, tell us about Cape Town. But now it's all about stories. So what I try to do is just ask, Tell us about the first day on set. Tell us about the day you shot that scene where you were crossing that river. How cold was the water? What did it feel like? And honestly, that all started after the Oliver Stone interview. Um, I got a chance to not just do marketing featurettes and not just do the bonus features, but he was launching his own website. And he said to the studio, if the producer who's coming here could just go ahead and ask me some questions that I could use on the site and cut together. I don't want all this marketing stuff. I don't want all this razzle-dazzle. Just strip it down. Make it real. And that taught me a lot because I got him, tell me about the day shooting about the bombs in the in the quarry. And um, tell me about that day in the Mesa where John Travolta, Salma Hayek, and all the kids, and Benicio Del Toro, all of them there in this gritty scene. And that's the day of the gods of the conquistadors. Um, and... <laughs> And he, just with this incredible voice and eloquence, just rocked these stories one by one that I could just put together these pieces that right. people just felt something. Even though there was, there was no music, it was all natural sound, it was 
and his voice. No music, no nothing, no big title card at the end. It was just real. And so that's something that I try to um, employ in every interview now. And then there was something I... In, before I worked on Safe House, I was doing some research on an actor who was in it named Liam Cunningham. And he had a quote in some other interview for some other project. It was who knows what. But he just said, every project I do, I try to further my craft. You hope that you further your craft and get better. And so um, so with this, I got out of, out of this project, I got blank. So I just stole that answer to create a question that I felt got to the heart of who these people are. So now I use this question all the time saying, in every project we do, we hope it furthers our craft and pushes us to experience new things. What has this project allowed you to do? And oddly, that question is rarely asked of them, so they stop and they just sit back back and say, (laughs) wait a second, that's not, tell us about the story, that's not tell us about the character, tell us about what's the director. It's a personal reflection. Right. And they feel like, okay, you're actually interested in talking to me and you're actually, you actually might get something real out of this. And, and then the other side is every, when I'm in post, my goal is to always make the directors and filmmakers and stars proud. Cause look, I, if I was a director, I would watch my DVD bonus features and say, did they capture this? And nothing would make me more disappointed than to see something with just canned media trained answers. Right. So I try and show them that, okay. If we got those nothing but those canned answers, I'm going to try and find that one human moment to try and add in there. And um, knock on wood, it's worked out so far. You know what? But now you've got another one. Tell me about your arch nemesis. <laughs> My arch nemesis? No, no. no you can ask the... Oh, right. Tell me. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm gonna, that's good. You can, you can ask the actors or the directors. You'll get some good and very immediate <laughs> stories on sets. I just find... <laughs> I, I find it really interesting. Um, just the whole... There's this whole industry of behind the scenes. You know, letting people in behind the curtain. Letting people in. And, and it's, it's huge. I mean, there's a ton of crews out there. And, um, and it's a... You know, not only with what you do, but then on the post side of stuff, when you guys need it all to get post and we mix it over in our end of things. And, and it's just a whole, I mean, there's just a lot, a lot of, of work out there along those lines doing that. I'm working with that. Having said that, that there's all this stuff, um, are you, is it a close knit community with all the different producers that are working? I mean, do you know everybody who's working on all the big, because I know you've got some pretty big titles and the stuff you're working on now. I mean, what is the community like between all you guys, all the different producers and production teams out there? It's it's not very close, and it should be close. Um, there was one. There's one producer who I got matched up with from a competitor. The studio just likes the way that both of us do interviews, and said, "I've got a project, and I want you to do one one audience reaction interview, and I want you to do one audience reaction interview." At the end of and I knew that this other producer and at this other company was going to be doing all the post-production for it. So I was excited to meet her. She's produced some of the stuff that I've loved and watched and, and studied. And I went up to her and I said, just want to say thank you. It's a pleasure working with you. Here's all my material. Here's all my notes. Here's everything you need for post. She said, wow, that's great. Thank you very much. And I said, and here's my card. If you ever need anything, just let me know. She said, you're the competition. I have literally no reason to 
ever call you or deal with you or talk to you. And I found that to be so amazing um, because it is a small world and we all do intersect. And I, I try to meet as many people as possible and we try to, we don't have a network. We don't talk to each other a lot, but we're playing in the same sandbox. So well, clearly the two of you will obviously both only be working at the companies you currently are working at for the rest of your careers. Right. So things never change wow. at all in this wow. industry. Wow, I am sensing a theme on this podcast. Wow. <laughs> it was really shocking because uh, two years later, she did call me to come over to that company. And then, uh, and then eventually she was out of work. And she knew that she couldn't come to Trailer Park because not only had we, not maliciously, but brought over one of her employees, but in the spirit of everyone moves, this business changes. Everyone changes. That's what keeps it fresh. Um, So it's not a very close-knit community. But when you think about the people with the post-production, editors, everyone's dealing with the same editors. And the more you know, the more you talk to. And that's where we sort of communicate is through the editors and through the cameramen and sound men um, and and th- those freelancers are sort of our network that wow. connects us all together and um, you know talk, talk about being lucky to work being fascinated by movies is one thing but then the process of making movies right. is another thing and we get to do it on a very micro very small level but being able to work, you know, with the sound and, and color, some people just just going from writing to camera and sound on set, you're building the material, coming back doing the editorial, then going into the online and finishing process with color correction and audio mixing. It's it's just a thrill. It's an honor to be able to do this. Hey, uh, Brad, I have a I have a question for you. This is really, really sort of inside baseball. Um, yeah. But the listeners of you know this podcast might find this interesting, um, and that is uh, the issue of rights and unions and those kinds of things and side letters. Can you go into briefly what happens behind the scenes if you need to interview a director or an actor or something like that um, for one of these DVD things? Do they have to do it? What's the, how does that work? It's a uh, it's a good question, and it's it's evolving right now. Most of the directors, the stars, the producers um, have to do it. Um, it's in their contracts to do it. Uh, some of the stars could say no and just bow out. Um, certainly, you know, on a movie that it was pretty well publicized, Kick Ass Two, Jim Carrey bowed out of all the publicity, and and for bigger political reasons, the studio said, "We get it. Don't worry about it." And that happened to be one day before I was supposed to interview him. Um, and I think he knew that it had all come to a head and, and it was right after Sandy Hook. So he had some very deep personal reasons for not wanting to do publicity for this movie. And so he got off the hook, but most of the time they have to do it. You also have to approach the writers because a writer guild rule writers guild rules. You have to at least ask them if they're on set and they show up for one day, you have to conduct that interview on that day. If they're not there, if you miss for them for whatever reason, then um, you have to at least contact them and they have to do it. So most of them are contractually obligated. They understand that they have to sell the movie and that's, that's the hook. If you can get them with something deeper in the conversation, that's all gravy. Now, as far as being on set and then playing to the cameras, they don't have to do anything, and they also don't have to agree to you being there. Some talents say, 
okay, you think you're going to be here every day? You're not going to be here every day. Um, you're going to get off the set right now because we don't want you filming this. We don't want you a part of it. You're getting in my mojo. We don't want you to be a part of it. You're just another person on set. So a lot of it is the politics and the publicity of it all that we've got a long road ahead of us and we have to back out. Um, now, when it comes to the unions, things are getting a little bit stricter. Uh, because I like to do a little bit of flair sometimes on DVDs or have people say um, something in-world. Uh, let's say you're doing a, a, a movie about an amusement park or something and you say, welcome to Disney World. And and that's an extra saying it. Or welcome to Wally World in the Lampoon National Lampoon's parlance. Um, you can't do that anymore because they might get used for the DVD and that bumps them up from an, a background actor to a featured performer in one way or the other, and they're doing extra lines that is that wasn't asked for you uh, asked of them initially. So we're now facing a time where you can't play as much because the actors and I've got friends who are actors who say, "Yeah, I kind of get the point." And it's like, "Oh, just come on! I just want to have this little bit of flair that we can play with right. uh, to build up this world or to show that everyone had fun or got into the spirit of things on set." It's become very litigious, and all of a sudden, after we did that, "Welcome to Wally World," or one way or the other, we got uh, the unions and the labor relations board involved and said, okay, now you have to pay everybody a whole lot more money. And so we said, okay, slap us on the wrist. We'll never do that again. And we never did. And unfortunately that killed a lot of concepts and a lot of creativity or put Hmm. a chilling effect on things that the studio didn't want us to go any further. And we just didn't want to get ourselves in hot water because we're just freelance vendors in the most base way. So People need to do it. Um, I mean, with rights, and then there's legal clearances with any photographs, with any music, obviously. And and uh, that just adds a whole different element and aspect to what we do, where it is all the fun, but then there's the very real business side that we have to pay attention to. Yeah. Wow. Brett. <laughs> this, is, this has been an education on this whole world of, of behind the scenes and DVDs and stuff. And... You want to know something? Talk about a small world. You did the Riddick stuff with Scott, right? But you also worked on the Riddick stuff, right? You did the some of the spaceship sounds, or was that Riddick too that you did? Um, did you do the original? They run together. I think it was the original. Yeah, that Scott did in my studio, right? This because he came over and used a bunch of your synths and all your. And I've actually done the music for a zillion uh, DVD specials and stuff at two different periods in time. I did a bunch in the 90s and then a bunch in the mid-2000s uh, wow. for a few different studios. And I just remember the deadlines being insane. And <laughs> Yeah, there's uh, no respect for you yeah. know, the real process. There of it is all. no respect. Yeah. There is no... Like, usually around Christmas time, um, I've worked in places where they give you two weeks off or they give you the holidays. It's slow. But the one department that always is kicking something out is usually <laughs> DVD advanced content because they, you know, they have stuff that's releasing at the beginning of the year, and the mm-hmm. studios are like, "We want this," you know, December twenty sixth. You know, uh, we've <laughs> we've had a lot of Christmas killers. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, it's 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 killer. But Brett, thank you so much for coming and joining us and just telling us some great stories and behind the scenes uh, and and what's happening out there. And uh, you know, it's a shame that Scott's not here because. 
you know, Scott's been in a couple of your featurettes that you've done. He he has. He'll probably never remember me because I actually didn't produce those, but I sat next to him as he was mixing them, and sort of my jaw was on the floor, and this is my fanboy of it all. I know you guys just sit around with him all the time and hang out, but <laughs> for me, and also having my brother who... Uh, idolized him and me just calling my brother saying I'm next to Scott right now and uh, he went crazy it's, so. it's not that big of a thrill <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably better he's not here to hear that <laughs> right exactly <laughs> yeah why ruin the mystery I actually don't want to even see him again <laughs> well, uh, thank you for having me and for enduring the long windedness no that, no uh, it was great no all that stuff is great list off just give a list of some of the titles that uh, that you've done Oh boy. Um let's see. I've I've mentioned uh Savages, Safe House, Two Guns, Kick Ass Two, Dumb and Dumber. Um I actually have a list here. Uh Last House on the Left, um, which was great for Wes Craven, The Thing, uh remake, which was at least I got to speak to a few interesting people. Um, I was on Masters of Horror, which was uh, great for you know John Landis and John uh, John Carpenter right. and some of the horror legends. Um, uh, role models. Uh, then I've done a slew of junkets and premieres. In that some a of that slew. Put, a slew. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A slew of them. I've been meaning to drop that this entire time. So I did a slew of those, which also got me beaten up by uh, James Cameron, which is a right of honor. Um, and uh, recently, I've been able to be involved with a lot of sizzle reels and promotional reels and sales reels. Which, well, yeah, we did Oblivion together. Oblivion. And a couple yeah. other things, and I think I did. I think the first thing I worked with you on was the. The Thing remake. Didn't That's right. That was the first thing. It was The Thing remake. And, and there was actually one of the – actually, this happens all the time because you know, I've mixed a lot of bonus material. But where, where the bonus content is far more interesting than the actual film. <laughs> That's the goal, actually, most of the time. I mean, I, I won't say anything about some of the movies I'm working on now, but they're not a, that great. So it's like if you can hook them and just – Keep keep everybody interested and engaged through the uh, the bonus materials. That's a big accomplishment because right. we aim to be better. That was the case on movie forty three. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, let's not start. No, let's not go back there. I worked on that one also, and that yes, let's just not start on that one. Well, thank you so much. We're going to have to bring you back because um, a whole thing we didn't even get into, which I I want to get into, especially as an audio guy who's done a lot of editing, is talking about commentaries because. I mean, we spent all this time talking about onset and interviews and things like that. Commentaries are a whole nother beast. I mean, just from a technical aspect, um, if you've ever, you know, I've recorded a, a couple of them, more than a couple. Um, I've edited a ton of them, and you've probably directed a gazillion of them, and it's just, it's just a whole different thing. And um, so we'll have to bring you back and talk about that, especially from the, from the audio side. Um, but I wanted to also talk to. Um, Rob, hmm. um, because Rob, uh, wake up! I'm up. I'm up. I'm just listening. You've been working on some great stuff, and you know we're, we're going to be wrapping up anyhow. But I wanted to start with you, Rob, is talk to us a little bit about the project, the misses that you've been working on. I understand some things are really happening. Things there. are going crazy with the misses, and I know I've I've talked about it for a few podcasts now. Ever since they became, I guess, public knowledge in July, I guess was the official launch. But um, they're a band called the Misses. Uh, the website's themisses.com, just T-H-E-M-R-S.com, The Misses. 
Um, and it's a band of five women from Austin that I've been working with. I've been helping develop them for the last couple years, writing and producing a bunch of music with them and for them. And the first single uh, that I wrote and produced with them is called Enough. And it's a song about women uh, sort of just declaring that they're enough, whether it's smart enough or pretty enough or strong enough or whatever. Uh, it's just sort of this declaration. <clears throat> and it's a very empowering kind of song, and it's sort of like an anthemic song. You know, you throw your fist in the air and yell, I'm enough. So uh, after uh, writing and producing the song, it was time to come up with an idea for a music video. And instead of doing a traditional music video, video I've been schooling them in, in the music business ever since I met them. And one of the things I always say is you have to differentiate yourself. And we've talked about that on the podcast. Every indie band does some kind of music video and works the social networks and everybody's competing on the same playing field and there are a zillion out there. I mean, you're competing against big labels and it's a much more level playing field than it used to be, but still, you're competing against every other new band with the music video. So what we did instead, and I'm very proud to say my sister, Lauren Davis, Lauren Arbiter Davis, <laughs> uh, who's based in Austin, uh, came in to come up with the marketing campaign uh, along with Kate Donahoe and some of the other people she works with. But she came up with the idea of relating the song enough to mirrors because a mirror is where a lot of women have this conversation with themselves about are they enough for their family or, or their friends or their life in general. And so the idea was to create a video that would sort of redefine women's relationship with their mirrors. And we call it, very brilliantly, the mirror video. So clever title. <laughs> A lot of people refer to it as the magic mirror. But if you go to the missus.com, you can actually see that this video that we did instead of a music video. And it's a video where uh, they set up a magic mirror in a mall in Austin and invited people uh, to come to the mirror and gave them a very unique experience. You have to see the video to understand it, but it's pretty, pretty amazing. Cool. And there were also strangers who walked up at the mirror. The mirror was set, <coughs> excuse me, the mirror was set up for two days. Uh, in the mall in Austin, and they had basically planned 15 surprise parties for people who came to the mirror, but there were a lot of strangers who came to, and the whole thing was shot with many different cameras, and it ended up being very complicated post-production. It was a very complex shoot, uh, very complex mix. Uh, I ended up scoring it. You'll hear me playing piano on it. Uh, and it turned into this amazingly cool video. So we put the video up on YouTube, uh, had a big debut, uh, at the Blogger conference in San Jose a few months ago, it got a tiny little bit of traction. And over the last few months, it got up to, I guess at the last podcast, it was about 22,000 views for the YouTube video. We thought, okay, this is a slow and steady build and it's going well. And we've had some social media experts helping us you know, give advice. And I have to say, Bobby Osinski's been hugely helpful. I've thanked him before for helping him. Mike, you helped me with the mix and there have been a lot of friends helping on this. But... Uh, We've been working the social networks to try to get some attention for the video to try to really get the views to go up. And one of the outlets that we kept trying to get coverage on was Upworthy.com. Because if they mention something is cool, a lot of people then know about it. So less than two weeks ago, the video got mentioned on Upworthy.com and things have gone crazy. In the last, we were at 22,000 views uh, a couple weeks ago and now we're at almost 4 million views. 
in the last less than two weeks. The video has been translated into different languages around the world, not by us, just by random people who saw the message, went crazy for it. The, the Spanish translated version has over half a million views now. Wow. It's been translated into Chinese. <clears throat> it is literally becoming a movement around the world. And this is all happening as we speak. And so uh, Good Morning America found out about this and, and sent a crew to Austin. They shot a story about us uh, last week when I was there. Um, and that's supposed to air this coming week or whenever this posts. That should have aired last week. <laughs> uh, and so this one video, by doing something that's not a traditional music video, I mean, I think it's a great song, but I'm biased. Uh, it's a catchy song. There are definitely people loving the song. But there is no way a traditional music video could have gotten this yeah. attention. Um, and this video is very unique and very cool, and people should just check it out. It's really inspiring. I mean, it really is. When I, when I saw um, when I got the sneak peek before it was released, it was really cool. And I, well, that sneak peek was honestly because I had had to mix it on headphones, which I hate to do, and I sent it to Mike to say, does this sound like a mix? Is this okay? <laughs> and I did that a few times. But it's a pretty touching video, and it is, it is definitely getting... Traction. The band is going to be out here in the next few days for some television appearances, and we're just figuring out now when the first live national performance is going to be That's awesome. on some major show. But two weeks ago, I would have told you this whole thing is sort of asleep, and all it takes is that one mention, and yeah. it's like wildfire. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Uh, that's awesome. Well, we're going to continue to monitor it, and we've, you know, the, the best thing is if you listen to this podcast, you've kind of been with Rob on this whole journey ever since it started. You know, every- well, if you've been on, on this podcast the whole time, you've been with me for six years before the project. Even started. <laughs> we started basically uh, what two years ago. Yeah. So that's cool. It's great to see it out, and and I, I'm actually at the website right now. I'm looking at it, and it's a it's a nice website. But man, like. Three million people in like less than a week. That's incredible. It's incredible. And I have to say, I've worked on a ton of big records with other artists, but I've never actually been involved in the writing and production of a song where my name will be listed right. uh, that way that has had a push like this and been getting response like this. So as long as I've been in this business, this is something I've never actually accomplished before. So well, it's really exciting. Yeah, it's fun. And that's why you're smiling. I am smiling. I'm also smiling because I know we're almost done, and I'm so tired because I flew in just for this podcast last night, and my time, it is almost 1 a.m. I am beat, but this has been an awesome conversation. It's been great. Well, that's great. Um, Nick, have you been working on anything fun and exciting? Oh, yeah. Not, not quite to that level. <laughs> you know, the regular thing, I've been writing a ton of music, um, ton of music, using Logic a lot, your, your favorite. Um, my absolute favorite absolute favorite which I think has been great um, a couple of things let's see I'm performing tomorrow night uh, Disney is doing a fundraiser they do a yearly fundraiser called Applause with a Cause and that's uh, cool. so that's going to be nice and so I'm going to be performing at that um, and other than that oh I know um, I got a little tired of listening to podcasts on my way to work and you know what the traffic is like in LA it can take me anywhere between 20 minutes and an hour to get there uh, in the morning and back and so what I decided to do aside from listening to the audio nowcast of course (laughs) and uh, the tone benders podcast and a couple of others I wanted to be listening to something else in the car and so I decided that I would take the time as I was going to try to read the entire Harvard classics you know the whole five foot shelf of books while driving in, in, in commute traffic so I could do something useful with my time. And so I went up on the internet 
and started looking around and found a wonderful public domain website called LibreVox, L-I-B-R-E-V-O-X, where anybody out there takes some classic public, public domain book and adds to the public good by just recording it themselves wow. and then posting it up there. And so I was able to find, I'm listening to the audio, the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin right now while driving uh, to work. Like read by neat. Joey from Brooklyn? Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yo, it's just, I love the long tail of the internet. I love the fact that there are things out there like that and there are people out there that are contributing to, to the good of the world that way. Just, Never get tired of it. Well, it's cool. Jeremy? Uh, yeah, I actually have a couple things I can talk about finally. Um, it's not out yet, but they've started doing marketing. I actually uh, did a show for HBO called, called Olive Kittredge, and it uh, premiered at a bunch of uh, film festivals, even though it's a miniseries. But it got like rave reviews, and so it's really cool to see something like that sort of popping up and go, oh, I, I worked on that. And you know, I can tell my parents, like, okay, you know, watch this when it comes out. And so that's been a lot of fun because it's a little more um, accessible than some of the other stuff I work on, which has all been really cool. But that's very easy, just like, okay, mom, go to HBO, it's on right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that was good. I've worked on a, a bunch of other stuff. Actually, I, I was lucky. I had a good summer. Um, I guess that's it. Nothing super specific. I have a couple of things that I can't talk about, but, um, it's, uh, it's nice to have some of my first sort of bigger projects coming to, so that people can see them and that sort of thing. So, and, and you're going to get to do some traveling too, right? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm traveling coming up. Uh, I'll save that until I actually get back, uh, but it should be crazy. I've got all sorts of fun stuff planned. Well, that's awesome. Yes, and uh, and what are you up to? Um, getting ready for AES mainly, and then obviously learning how to speak too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Those two things. Actually, I worked on this cool little project. Um, it's not out yet, but it's for a big. There's a big entertainment company that could be headed by a rodent. That's all I'm going to say. Um, and it's this special installation thing that's going to be touring around in malls, and it's for a DVD. And it was just fun. It wasn't. I wouldn't even say it was challenging, but when you get to work on something like that, that's that's it's really kind of cool. Especially if it goes to mall, and you get to bring your kids and you show it and stuff like that. Every once in a while, you know, I work on something that's like. That's kind of cool. It's just kind of fun, you know? And um, that was one of those moments, um, that and plus the, the normal stuff. Um, but really, um, right now, I'm just between that and doing some stuff. Um, I'm mixing some stuff for Martin, which is really cool, which I'm not going to spill the beans on anything. So I'll let him talk all about it. Um, it's just been uh, a fun time right now. And i um, looking forward to seeing what AES, like I said, has to offer us. What were you and I just I wanted to give one additional shout out. Not something I'm working on at all, but um, a lot of people know, and I know this because I've been getting lots of phone calls that I haven't been able to help with, but Stevie Wonder is going on tour. Right. And no, I can't get you tickets, but um, <laughs> he's, he's only doing 10 cities. Apparently, I actually have nothing to do with this tour. Hopefully, everything is uh, running well without me, but um, if you haven't gotten a chance to see him, you absolutely should try if he's coming yeah. anywhere near you. Yeah. It is a great show. He's basically recreating... Songs in the Key of Life, the entire double album. And uh, it's something he's done a few times before, but not very often. And it's only going to be in 10 different cities. So yeah. if he's coming to near where you are, I can just tell you, you won't be disappointed. It'd be an amazing show. Yeah, go see it. Go see it. 
Well, uh, I want to thank uh, I want to thank you, Brett, for joining us. And I know you're thank working you. on some cool stuff. And um, maybe when it comes out, you can come back and we'll talk all about that. And I'd be happy to and, anytime. And some of the other things, but um, but yeah. So if you have thank any com- you. comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. And I just want to give a shout out right now um, to we have. And hold on one second. Let me check my notes really quick. But um, I got a really nice uh, email from Juan David Montalvo, who happens to listen to us from Ecuador. Mm-hmm. And he's going through the podcast right now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but he just you know, sent us a really good um a really good email, and he's learned a lot from us. And uh, it's really cool that we can reach out to somebody out in Ecuador. And, you know, really, South America is a hot market for audio. I don't know if you guys know this, but the art scenes in Mexico and in South America are just really coming alive. And, and actually, not just audio. I mean, with restaurants and foods and things like that. But it's really cool to see, um, you know, he sent a really great email. So thank you, um, Juan, for uh, listening to us, and hopefully we won't let you down. <laughs> but uh, to everybody else, thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Or you can uh, touch base with us on Facebook. Um, and uh, we're at 486 likes. Come on, guys. Let's get us to 500, you know? I mean, I could pay to get us to 500. No, no, we shouldn't have to. Where's Bobby Osinski when we need him? We just need a couple more. Just 500. It just just will look good. But it's really great. Um, and we solved our server issues. Um, we were getting knocked out left and right. So hopefully things are keep going and we won't have another server shutdown like we had couple weeks back Mm -hmm. so um anyhow well thank you so much for everything thanks for joining us and um if you're at the aes show and this comes out before the aes show stop by the api booth (laughs) what are the chances (laughs) and if not it was great to see you all right well for myself and all the guys thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time see you Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>